following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us here on this Wednesday evening, or if you're checking us out in one of your favorite places to catch podcasts afterwards as well, too. It's always a fun time to stay here and talk sports with you all. Speaking of talking sports with you all, it is DJ joined, as always, by my co-host, Kelsey. Kelsey, we had we just finished up week five in the NFL season. M- NBA se- preseason is underway with the regular season around the corner. Uh, it's October, so you know what that means for baseball week. We're busy right now. It's a busy time. Oh, and college football is getting a little spicy, too. Yeah, now's the time when legends are made in multiple sports. I mean, look, you talk about baseball. What is one of the most famous nicknames ever given out in baseball? Mr. October. You know, Heisman Trophy watches. When are you? When do most Heisman Trophy winners really win their Heisman Trophy? Probably October when they're in the middle of their their uh, conference scheduling. And, you know, it's it's also NFL season time, and that's when – Really, it's make or break. You're you're done with the beginning of the season woes. You're in the middle of the season now. Now you're now you're starting to get into the the dog days of your season, if you will, in the NFL, which is only 17, 18 weeks. So you know what? This is this, this is a great time. Great time to be to be a sports fan. And if you're a hockey fan, I'd be remiss not not just say that a hockey just started as well this last weekend. So uh, yeah, sports all around. Actually, uh, honestly, I think hockey started uh, today. Today is the this is the uh, is the face off for hockey. I say face off because it's the start of hockey season. So, uh, yeah, no, it is. Um, it's an exciting time for every sports fan. I mean, there's a sport out there for you right now, and MLS getting into the MLS playoff stretch as well. And there's some really big things happening in the world of fisticuffs. Some big shakeups at the next U- new UFC. The main event and co-main event had someone pull out, but they replaced it with arguably better matchup as well too. So there's a there's a little something out there for everybody. We won't get a chance to touch on all of it. We're going to definitely dabble into some of it as well, too. And if you have any questions, drop in the comment section. We'll touch on something you think we might have skipped. But it's a good way to segue right into our opening segment, also known as the tip-off. The tip-off, of course, brought to you by our good friends over at SeatGeek. Use code BELLYOSPORT for $20 off your first order. Get yourself some nice tickets to one of those favorite sporting events at a discounted price as well. So it is, as you mentioned, it is October, Mr. October, the hunt for red October. Kirktober, if you're in Minnesota, there's a little something all over oh, the place. Kirk-tober. We have MLB playoffs going on right now as well. We do have one series already wrapped up, and a couple of them that are very well on the way. We're gonna start. We're gonna peel the bandaid off with the with the main one that's wrapped up. The number one seed in the AL Orioles getting taken out by the Rangers. The O's. Well, that's not just their name. That is kind of with the amount of games they won to, and that's the amount of minutes they were competitive in this series. And, Honestly, when we did our preseason, when we did our predictions, when I had Jared here with us, I had the little graphic for it. I, I picked the Rangers to go to the World Series. I think they're really good. I did not think they were going to sweep the O's. I didn't think they were going to make the O's look like, well, last year's Orioles, honestly. I don't have to go back that far to pick, pick out that. But that was that was a rough series to watch, honestly. It felt like the Rangers toyed with them the entire time. It felt like the O's had – they weren't really competitive for most of it. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I Game one – Really set the really set the the, the mood for me. I mean, three two uh, victory for the Rangers. You, you go into Baltimore, you win you win game one in a heartbreaking fashion like that. If you're if you're Texas, um, I mean, if you're if you're Baltimore, it's a heartbreaking situation. If you're Texas, that's a best well hospital start mm-hmm. to it. And then you then you get to go and go play. You know, games in it, you know you got one more in Camden, which they win eleven to eight, which is a crazy offensive stat for Camden. Camden usually never gives up that type of offense. But the important one is you get to go back to Texas up two games and you get to go feast on that Globe Life Park where balls just fly and soar out of that stadium. And yeah, talk about home field advantage when they go when they get to go home back to go to Globe Life. It is uh, it's a great time for Texas fans and, and the Rangers as an organization this year. Um, so it, this one to me, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't surprised by it as much. I thought this is going to be a pretty, pretty easy sweep, maybe a one game to the Orioles at home, maybe one of the early games. But I did. I, I mean, I, I literally my bet was game one Rangers win, and then game two that would have been like if I would have bet on game two, I would have said maybe the Orioles pull this one off. But honestly, it was I was like game one, game three, guaranteed Rangers wins, uh, probably game four as well, and that would just probably be the end of it. And and I mean, yeah, they didn't go to game four. They ended in, in three games. But let's be honest, the Orioles. Anybody said the Orioles would be the top seed? Really? You'd be like, wait, what? Like, I would put a few dollars on that just because someone said it, and I have a lot of money right now. Yeah, like I, I, realistically, when you think about it, the Orioles are overperformed this year. Um, there's no doubt about that. They, I mean, at the end of the day, 
they had a great season. I mean, they don't take anything away from the, these young upstart Orioles. I mean, this team is is a is going to be dangerous uh, for years to come. And you know, led by obviously obviously Adley Rutschman and, and that showcase he put on during the home run derby, kind of was like that was their welcoming mat to the rest of the world. And now this playoff performance, yeah, it wasn't great, but that's what the Orioles do. They let you they they want you to under undersell them. They want you to undervalue them because they have no problem being the underdog and just stomping all over your hearts. Just ask any Yankees or Red Sox fan in recent memory. I mean, it's happened multiple times. So yeah, these Orioles, it's 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 yeah, it sucks. Okay. There's no doubt about it. Getting swept in the playoffs sucks, especially when you're in top seed and you're getting dogged by a, a wild card winner. But you know what? It is, it is what it is. You flush it down the toilet, get ready for next year. You got 162 more to do, do next year just to get to the back to the playoffs. Get healthy. Get these young kids ready for year two, year three for some of them. I mean, this is this is a young team. I'm not concerned about. Yeah, it's a sucky way to go out of the playoffs, but man, going forward, I, I can't I can't wait to see what the Orioles can do. I'll say right now for my far too early predictions, I might have the Orioles going pretty decently in the playoffs next year as well, too. We're not that's way too early for that, but I'm agreeing with you next year. I think if they can stay healthy, they they could be a little bit dangerous unless they have that weird slump where it's like, oh, everyone expects yeah. it to be good enough, then falls off. But like on paper, there are right such now, things as sophomore play. slumps for teams as well, not just players. Exactly. And I want to throw on top of that too. What also surprised me is Scherzer didn't even get a chance to play in this series as he's still coming back. He might be ready for the CS that we'll see, but but not even having him and they didn't really miss a beat, which I know he's not the same Scherzer as a few years ago, but he can still sling it with the best of them. Like there's a reason they got to this point. It was part of it included that fire sale from the Mets where they just sent their two best pitchers to Texas, basically one to the Rangers, one to the Astros. So I, they, they could be dangerous depending on who they face coming out of the other series, which as of right now, it's looking like the Astros up two to one over the, t- over the twins. And I think we're both in agreement here. It feels like the Astros. I don't, I don't want to discount the twins, but I, I'm feeling like the Astros are going to walk. If they don't win tonight, they'll close in the fifth one. It feels like it feels like the Astros should be able to win this one. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, if they win tonight, this is a, this is a game over yeah. uh, the, for the series. So, uh, yeah, if Astros can can somehow lose this game tonight, I don't <laughs> think they will. I mean, as you said, they're up three one right now in the fourth. But if the Astros somehow manage to lose, maybe the twins can make a case. Um, but they're going back to Houston for game five. I don't think it even gets there. I think tonight is is game game over for the situation for the twins. Uh, I think Astros win win this one, win 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 game three or win the third game in game four. Um, walk on home and yeah, uh, I mean we all know I picked the the Astros to go to the World Series here, so I guess it shouldn't surprise anybody that I'm picking them. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't I don't see this being a situation where the Twins have much of a chance uh, to come back in this one, which is really weird though if you look at it. Astros absolutely beating down the Twins when they're in Minnesota. Absolutely wild to see. You don't rare you rarely see a home team, and actually, this entire series, there's been three win three wins in an away game by the away team in this series. It's absolutely crazy to think about. Um, uh, it just doesn't make much sense, truthfully. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, uh, sorry, no, two wins right now, and as far as from away teams, um, Astros one game, one at home, but yeah, yeah. it's still crazy to watch. So, yeah, no, I think the Astros twins is a fun series, but it's not gonna last much longer. It, it, it was it was fun to give them one basically, but that was about the extent of where it was going to go. Which means we're going to have that all Texas ALCS by the looks of it. And that series looks like it's going to be quite the doozy. I will be surprised if that one ends up being one sided. I feel like that one should be back and forth the whole way, to like all, down to like those final game, maybe like maybe three. Two. Like I think it's going to be a very. I think that's going to be a yeah, very. Give, give me series. give me six games in this one. Like almost guaranteed, maybe even seven if somebody's if someone's feeling good in game six. But like. I, I agree. With you. That that series is going to be well, much better than the rest of the AL series we've seen. If he comes back fully healthy, Scherzer, we could see a Scherzer Verlander matchup twice in this series. You hear, you hear that? That's the sound of thousands of Mets fans crying. Like, are you kidding me? Why? But at the same time, they're Mets fans, so they're used to it. And there's thousands of baseball fans, millions of baseball fans, just mouth watering with the opportunity, possibly. Can't wait for that. It's gonna it's gonna be an absolute doozy. But that's gonna take us now over to the NL side of things too, and. I'm going to start with the one that surprises me a little bit. The fact that the Diamondbacks are not only beating the Dodgers, but they're kind of whooping on them a little bit too. Clayton Kershaw getting absolutely toasted in the first game. Should have kind of seen that coming, honestly. Probably should have expected that because that is kind of his thing. I didn't expect him to give up six runs and six pitches, though. That part kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. Like That was absolutely abysmal, and I think... To be be fair, it wasn't six pitches. It was six hitters, but yeah, I mean, still, it was... My my embellishment wasn't nearly as much as his embellishment. As it it was it was about it was about eighteen pitches. I think is what he threw in the first six hitters. Weird enough, that didn't make it any better. Honestly, that might no, have made it, it even worse. worse. But 
I'm just like, I feels like that one set the tone. Like, I still think the Dodgers are better, and I still think they have a World Series chance as they were my reluctant prediction to go all the way. But I think that that opening inning alone just basically kind of toasted the series one, honestly. And you don't want to say one inning could toast a whole series, especially the first one, but that one, for lack of better terms, hit different and literally and figuratively because <laughs> they have not looked the same. And it might get closed out tonight in three, it just might. Yeah. I mean, realistically, it has an, op- an opportunity to end tonight. Um, you punch somebody in the mouth to see how they answer. And, and the truth is the Dodgers haven't been punched in the mouth very often this year. Well, uh, six runs in six in six hitters is a pretty good punch in the mouth. And, you know, it's funny. Somehow with these NOS teams, look, eh, you, you finish second in the NOS. You maybe finish third in the NOS. You make it through on that wild card. And look what happens. You get a face off against the top team from the NOS. And, oh, by the way, smack them around a little bit. Um, where's Jared at when I need him to talk about the Diamondbacks right now? Because he could do them a lot more justice than I can. I still have a uh, NOS team, so I still don't really love him mu- th- that much. But you know what? I respect him. Um, but yeah, I think, I think this is a situation where, I mean, I love anybody who's beating the Dodgers and the more they do it, the better, but I, I do think this is down to, to getting hot at the right time. Corbin Carroll, absolutely. Hot. And they're healthy, hot and healthy. Like, I mean, I think that could probably be taken the wrong way, but so we, it's baseball. It's, it's you gotta be hot. You gotta be healthy. There's the those are the two things. Um, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, he's never been a great playoff pitcher. He's had one playoff run. That was good. <laughs> The other six have been absolutely awful. Um, it's just who he is. He just for some reason in the playoffs he doesn't. It doesn't. It, it just doesn't work with his scheduling. Like I guess I, I don't know. He's just off. Something's off when he, when he pitches in the playoffs for some reason. Maybe he puts much, too much pressure. There's no telling what goes through a pitcher's he mind. Hates, he tries to say he hates pitching on Saturdays because it interrupts his college football watching. Well, he should be banned from watching college football for a while after that performance. Like you know, you don't get to yeah, watch no, anything no, else no. after that. I don't care if it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday. No. You don't get to watch anything besides your pitch count at this point. No excuses. Uh, now, I mean, there's one saving grace for the Dodgers. They're a power-hitting lineup, and they're going into Chase Field, which is, again, talk about – I talked about Camden not giving up that many runs. Well, Chase Field, on the other hand, loves to give up runs. And if you ever watch a home run derby at Chase Field, you know that ball likes to fly out of that stadium as well at night. Um, that desert air getting getting a little colder, getting a little lighter. It does like to fly a little bit. So that, that'll be interesting to see if they can maybe pull something out tonight. But then you got to turn around and th- throw Clayton back out there. And do you trust Clayton Kershaw to get a, a winning game for? Because I personally don't either. Um, I don't think, I, to me, I, I, I'll be honest and say, as a team who has gone through this with a starting pitcher who was a two-time Cy Young winner and a almost MVP in Tim Lincecum, and watching what he did for that three three out of five year run for the for the Giants, that last year he was used as a reliever. I'm gonna be honest. I think Clayton Kershaw should not have been a starter this year. I know. People are like, oh, how blasphemous are you to say? Use him in spot starts. Don't use him as a number one top year top year order type of guy. He's not that guy anymore. You have much better pitchers on your roster to the Dodgers. There's a much better lineup. There's a much better starting rotation to run out in the playoffs, and Clayton Kershaw is your number one. It's just unfortunate truth to the matter, and guys get old. It's just part of the game. I mean, their arm starts to fizz out, and a guy who's had as many shoulder and arm issues as he has in his career – that's concerning, especially when you consider adding the lower leg injuries as well. It's not a great situation, and then now he's running out there. I mean, it was tough to watch. I'll be honest. As a, as a fan of the sport, it is tough to watch any great pitcher historically go out there and get shelled like that in a playoff game. But then part of me as a, as a, Dodger, as, as a not Dodgers fan, as a Dodgers hater, absolutely loved every moment of it. So, uh, no, as far as the series go, I think Diamondbacks probably take this one tonight, just finishing the fell swoop. Do I think they'd go beyond that? Well, we'll talk about the team they're probably facing here in just a minute, but, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see. I will say if the Dodgers somehow find a way to rattle off three in a row and win this series, I think that could catapult them to the World Series as well. So I think being able to get that get that adversity off you, and that would mean Clayton Kershaw in game four would have to be able to shake that one off and be not Clayton Kershaw in October, really, basically, which that's the biggest thing. But we'll have to see on that one for sure. It's definitely – not what I anticipated. I'm okay with it because I'm as as are you. I'm not a big fan of the Dodgers, although I picked them, so I want them to win. So I you forever know I beat LA. That, <laughs> Any sport forever beat LA. You know that's a very fair reasoning, which is going to take us now into the last game, which is the, the game three is actually going on right now. And well, it's not much of a game right now necessarily. We got the Phillies taking on the the Atlanta Braves, and the Phillies and their two wins have. They kind of turn into football scores a little bit too. Up ten to two at the time of this recording. Game one, they ran right through them. If I'm not mistaken, shut them out too. Yeah, three nothing. 
for the first time Atlanta's been shut out at home too. And then game two, Atlanta won. But right now, that number one seed's uh, looking a little bit rough for and Atlanta. Yep, and it looks like we are frozen here for a minute, but I'll just kind of continue on to that as well. Looking at it, they're up 10 to 2 right now. Their bats have come alive. The 2018, they look like the 2018 Nationals, which is a lot of players they have as well, too. It looks like I got Kelsey back here. As I was just saying, too, the 2018 Nationals, they're basically taking it to the Braves right now. And it's surprising considering the Braves were kind of the NL favorite almost in almost in a walkaway, too. Yeah, I mean, they were my favorite. Uh, the Braves were. So, yeah, to see this Phillies team just walk in here, and, and you know what? Home runs can make all the difference in the world. And as much as I make fun of Kyle Schwarber for being the definition of home runs, the guy has more home runs than singles, by the way, this year. Um, how unheard of is that? Uh, he has more home runs than walks. and or I believe it's more home runs than walks or more and more strikeouts than all of the above. Um, so <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy to see. But he, uh, you know, guys like him coming alive, Nick Asianos, they don't care about the fact it's the playoffs that you're supposed to hit right. You're supposed to hit into situations. You're supposed to do this. They just walk up there and they mash, and that's what they do best. And they'll play defense. They they give you they give you all the effort they can on defense. Now for Schwarber, that's not great. That's uh, still a below average fielder out there. But for somebody like Cassianos, that's you know above average. You have Bryce Harper finally get realistically getting healthy ish. Still not fully healthy. I know people are like, oh, you know, blah blah blah. Like, nah, dude, give the guy a chance. Like, and he's hitting two home runs tonight, two four hundred plus home foot home runs tonight uh, off that bum. A, what is it, AC joint? I believe is is what it is. Like unheard of for him. Uh, you shouldn't be that doing what you're what he's doing this unhealthy. And this is coming from a guy who does not like Bryce Harper very much at all. Um, he shouldn't be. He should not be performing in the playoffs as well, well as he is. And I know people are like, oh well, game two was a disaster for him. Yeah, well, so be it. You know what? So what? Um, he made up for tonight and some. Yeah, like it, it, give give him give him a chance. Like this is this is. The definition of David versus Goliath is what it should have been. And in this case, David is the Phillies. And I hate giving the Philly, I hate giving Philadelphia teams any sort of like you're an underdog type of moment moment because they love it. They feast off it. Literally, Rocky was made out of Philadelphia for that reason. So uh yeah, I you know, they love they love to feast off of this situation. And they're just like, you know what, we'll just go out here and mash and do our thing and pitch better than you. And you know what? If you're the Braves, like get on get figure it out like if you're the Braves figure it out you you have all the offensive weapons you're healthy you I mean Strider I don't know what's up with Spencer Strider but <laughs> that game one was awful uh in comparison and he fought his coach to come out you know to get as he was getting pulled for the in, at the end of the game like it's like come on dude you can't do that and then you know game two he's cussing out somebody on the field like I don't know what's going on with the Braves but this isn't the team that's that that you know set the NL on on fire this season um it's safe to say but Hey, you got, again, I'll say it again. Got to get hot. You got to get healthy in the playoffs. And right now the Phillies are both of those things as well. I will say if they, they're probably losing tonight, barring some sort of absolutely ridiculous collapse. If there's any team that's going to come back from 2-1 in a very rough 2-1 like it's been, I'd probably pick the Braves to do it because they have the firepower and the ability to get going like that. When they get a chance to front run a little bit, they will run away. So if they can get that opportunity in a couple more games, they could easily advance very easily. It's not over till the big lady sings. And she's, she's warming up the vocal cords, but she's not humming yet. Yeah, a big piece of that, though, by the way, I'm going to say it. I'm going to call him out right here now on the show. Matt Olson. Matt Olson for the Braves. Where's his fire at? Where's his firepower? Dude had 54 home runs. Nothing so far in the playoffs. Granted, it's only three games. But you got to perform when the, time, when, when the lights are bright. So uh, if, if the Braves are going get, to get something going, obviously Matt Olson needs to get involved. Um, not going to judge Ronald Acuna. Ronald Acuna is still doing Ronald Acuna things. Uh, despite everything else. So, um, yeah, dude has three hits in in three games. and Or, sorry, two hits in, in, in three games and three runs scored during that time. So, uh, and two stolen bases, by the way. So, hey, he's, he's doing what he can. He's doing what he uh, can. Yeah. He's the lone wolf out there, it feels like, as well. But especially Matt Olson is supposed to be, like, the – basically, like, the side – the which, the muscle behind it, if you will, too. With what Acuna yeah. offers, he offers that a little extra spice to it. And he's been – I don't want to say MIA, but kind of MIA. No, he's been MIA. No, I mean, he's been right. That's fair. I, guess. I, I didn't want to completely say it, but yeah, it's where, where are you at? You, in game four, you better hit You better hit a dinger and have a couple other hits too. If you, I mean, if you won't say it, I mean, I'll say it. He's MIA. Okay, he completely on the milk carton and everything as well too. Have you Look, seen? I mean, three hits in three games isn't a bad situation in the playoffs normally, but when you're the number four hitter 
and your team needs you and they've set the and they have set the basis for you and you know put it on a silver platter for you do something better than just get a single like i i, I need more from you kid he's zero rbis and he's a he's a cleanup hitter that's that's not good enough he's fourth on the lineup because he cleans up well but he is really really dirty right now he's not cleaning up anything so We'll see if they can bounce back unless they somehow pull this game off, but I'm not betting on that either. No, I'm not betting on anything happening here. Yeah, it's the top of the ninth, and they're now by eight, so that would take something ridiculous. But I digress. That's going to take us now off of the baseball diamond. We're now going to slide into the onto the gridiron. We're going to talk a little bit of college football here really quickly. We're, we're still kind of in the early parts of the season. Some teams are starting to establish themselves a little bit, but we still got a ways to go. We still got Pac-12 after dark games going into overtime. That make absolutely no sense, USC, Arizona State. I digress, though. Or USC, Arizona, excuse me. You got Colorado, Arizona State being really close. We also got a big one coming up, too, is we have, <clears throat> excuse me, Washington and Oregon, I believe, is coming up this weekend as well, too. Yep. Michael Penix and Bo Nix, that's going to be an absolute doozy. So as we're a quarter way through the season, don't I just want to get your Notre Dame-USC matchup. Can't forget Notre Dame-USC, Sam Hartman and Caleb Williams, an underrated quarterback duel in uh, that one, too. By the way, in at USC this early in the season. Always never fails this early in the season. It's always USC. <laughs> always has so I was kind of get your thoughts. So what are we what are we thinking so so far this early part in the college football season? Any surprises? Anyone who sticks out? Or honestly, what's what's kind of something that stands out to you so far? Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing that's standing out is just kind of the parity we're seeing right now. And people are saying that knowing full. I'm saying that full knowing full well. Georgia and Michigan are <laughs> are and Ohio State are top three. But if you look below that, you have Florida State who is undefeated, who has been terrible in recent years. There's there's some kids right now that are 10 years old who don't know a good Florida State team. Uh, that's kind of the truth of the matter. Uh, Oklahoma, 6-0 and right now, just coming off a huge win against Texas. I mean, absolute big win against Texas. Penn State, by the way, sneaking right in there, 5-0. and Washington, 5-0. and Who would have thought Washington? Washington right now, what, one of the top three teams in the in the, in the the Pac-12. Could you have said that before the season? I think most people are like, oh, they have two losses by now. They don't. They're here. They're, they're ready so, to go. We all knew Michael Penix, but I'm surprised at how – like they got two NFL receivers going right now as well too. They got yeah. Rome. I can't pronounce his last defense. name. Off yeah, the defense is killing it. Like I thought they could be a top 25 team, but I didn't think they'd be a top five team arguably and maybe even the Pac-12 favorite if you look at – if you actually look at it from a bit of a wide lens. They realistically should be the favorite in the Pac-12 right now. They aren't, but they should be. Yeah, and I mean, look, then there's Oregon. And I'm, I'm going <laughs> to stop at Oregon for a second and pause – because this team has not scored under 35 points yet this season. We're talking, if we want to go further back, they've scored under under 30 twice in the last year. Or sorry, three times in the last year, going back to week one of last year. And that was against Georgia when they got struck down. <laughs> That's during the Holiday Bowl when they scored 28 points and won. And during a Utah-Oregon matchup in which they scored 20 points and won. Um this team is is absolutely shocking, uh, to say the least, because as a Bo Nix experienced person, mm-hmm. um, I don't ever expect something like this from Bo Nix. I've seen the Bo Nix experience in full roller coaster mode. So it's not something I expect to see, but you know what? This team I mean, these two teams right now, top of the Pac twelve, uh, yeah, I it's wild. Um, it's wild and and, and unexpected. And you know, I would have thought USC would have put their put their foot down and and put a stamp on this division and or on this conference and made it theirs, but they haven't. That that game against Arizona last weekend was insane. Pac-12 after dark continues to be that Pac-12 after dark where wild things happen. You just don't know what's gonna what's gonna be on the on the on the docket for the night. Um, Texas, I would have thought Texas obviously at five and one. Yeah, they lose to Oklahoma, but you know, still Texas is a top ten team. Uh, still beat Alabama this year. Alabama's sneaking around there at a little at, at eleven, um, the number two SEC team right now with one loss. Uh, yeah, it's and then you know UNC surprises me. Ole Miss surprises me still uh, with their one loss to Alabama. They can continue climbing. Louisville, I mean, it's Louisville. It is what it is. Uh, the fact they've beaten a top ten team twice in a year or tw- two times in a row, and it's both been Sam Hartman. At quarterback, it kind of cracks me up. Um, and then Oregon State is a surprise. DJ, I'm never DJU. I <laughs> still cannot pronounce his name correctly after this many years. Is actually lighting it up at Oregon State. This is a great or great time to see Oregon State back on back again. Utah is still sneaking around 16. Uh, I mean, like honestly, like, I, I, I can continue down. I, I do want to point out Kansas is the top 25 team right now. Um, go Jayhawks, Rock Chalk. 
Um, I'm not not a Kansas fan, but I am a Jalen Daniels fan. Uh, yeah, it's it's there's a lot there's a lot to be said about this season. It's a lot of parody. Um, I mean, there's teams I named that haven't been good in 20 years, so it's it's a lot of fun to see. But at the same time, you still have the powerhouses, you still have the Bamas, you still have the Georgias, you still have the Michigan, still have the Ohio State. But they're all going to shake themselves out this year. Every single one of those Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State play each other. Georgia, Alabama, they would potentially match up in an SEC championship game, but. You know, Georgia did already beat, or Alabama did already beat Ole Miss. So that is part of it. That's already wiped out. Um, Bama still has the Auburn game, as much as that sounds like, ha-ha, to anybody else. That Rankings don't matter in that game. Uh, you never know what's going to happen there. Ole Miss also still has Auburn to come. Um, and that's a notorious game for being on Halloween, and that's where all the freaks fly. And it's, it's called the Navy Nightmare for a reason, that matchup. So we'll see if they do it again this year, but... Um, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of question marks of what, what's going to happen and how this is going to shake out. But it's been a fun season so far. Um, I know Colorado gets a lot of the attention, USC oh. with Caleb Williams. But this has been a fun season from top to bottom. I think there's a lot of teams surprising people. I think one that I didn't mention that should be mentioned that deserves it, Rutgers right now, a tough team. I know they're not ranked, but they're still a tough team. Like anybody in that division, that ha- anybody in that conference that has to go face Rutgers right now is not happy with it. Maryland, same thing, right there at the 25 spot. To his little brother, um, has been tearing teams up, not just with his arm, but with his feet as well. He probably could have let us let an upset over Ohio State had Marvin Harrison Jr. not figured out how to catch a ball again. Hmm. Um, so you know, it is it's interesting. Uh, Trayvon Henderson for Ohio State hasn't been showing up, so that's kind of surprising as well. But you know, it's it is I don't know. It's been to me, it's been a fun year. Uh, I could probably talk about it for hours, but. I'll stop there. Uh, I think it's been a fun year. More parody to come. And uh, we'll see how it all shakes out at the end of the season. Absolutely. Speaking of parody, we'll round out the college football ball talk. But we're going to go ahead and just pick out who we think is the Heisman front runner right now, obviously. And I'll go first on this one. I mentioned him already. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to take Michael Penix to, as the front runner right now. Quarterbacking a top 10 team that no one expected. Not just doing it, but he is literally in the towards the top of stats without playing fourth quarters. He is absolutely He's doing everything that Caleb Williams is doing but in a little bit more of a dominant fashion, it feels like as well. And I think we're, especially after this Oregon game, I think that'll solidify it a lot too as well. So I'm going to go with Michael Penix for now. Obviously, if you lose to Oregon, you get ramrod by Oregon, that dips. If you beat Oregon and you light it up like we expect, that I think that catapults him. I'm going to stick with Michael Penix for now, but it's a very close race. I mean, Caleb Williams is always right there. You can make a case that Drake May and Sam Hartman are both in the mix as well. Like there's a Blake Corn, J.J. McCarthy, Shadur Sanders. There's a lot of guys kind of in that mix, but I'm going to stick with Michael Penix for now. Even your boy Bo Nix, but I don't really want to say that. Yeah, I, I love the Michael Penix pick, by the way. He is my number two in the Heisman Trophy race right now. Uh, by the way, I just want to add some stats to your Michael Penix pick. 1,600 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 74.6% completion rate. And he has, played, he has skipped like three fourth quarters doing that, too. Yeah, uh, Caleb Williams, for comparison, only 1,200 passing yards on the dot. 1,200 on the dot. Uh, 15 touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, also just threw his first pick for the last for the first time. So, um, But, yeah, no, I, I think for me, I'm going to stick with the Pac-12, uh, but I'm going to actually go with a guy who you just mentioned, and this may be blasphemous because I did just talk about the Bo Nix effect, but I'm going Bo Nix. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, drop, the, drop the cards, like – Shocking emoji Challenge. here. Challenge. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going Bo Nix. 1,100, uh, almost 1,169 uh, passing yards, 11 t- passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, 69 rushing yards. Ha, uh, <laughs> ha, very funny. But most importantly, he's leading one of the most high-powered offenses out there, and he's making plays and checks at the line to put his team up above. Um, I do think that's, that's a, something that, not a lot of players can say. I know we just talked about Michael Penix, who does it. Caleb Williams does it to some degree, but he also trusts Lincoln Riley a lot, and he trusts his leg way too much, which gets him in trouble, like we saw against Arizona. Bo Nix has been just straight up calling the plays and saying, screw it. I don't care. I'm going to lead us to victory. And, yeah, in certain cases, like against Colorado, that's handing the ball off 30 times. But it worked. And if you're a quarterback and you want to take that 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 step to the next level, what do we always talk about with quarterbacks in the NFL? Game managers win games. And knowing that he can game manage like that is a huge advantage going forward. And and knowing he can manage going into the NFL, obviously raises the stake up higher. But I think for the Heisman, it's going to give him that extra edge here. I think it could be the difference to maker between tomorrow uh, between Michael Penix and him 
when it comes to this Washington Oregon game. I say tomorrow, but it's actually three days from now. <laughs> but still, I mean, it's. I think it could make the difference. I think seeing something in the defense that he's. I mean, we're talking about a six-year senior here. Um, seeing something in the defense that that he might be able to pick. And now Michael Penix is also a six-year senior, so let's not kid ourselves. Um, I just think that's that's going to make the difference is being able to see something he's experienced and and dealt with, and you know, I think he's 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 got a huge advantage here, uh, and I just think it's his physicality that that makes him a little bit different than Penix. I think Penix his arm and his vision is insane, and at the next level, I'm excited to see what he can do. But I think right, Bo Nix from the college experience is going to make. I said I said this. He's my he's my he's going to be in. New York come the Heisman Trophy ceremony, and I was slowly sneaking my way into he's potentially going to win the Heisman mm-hmm. Trophy. Um, yep. Now, mind you, mind you, I say all this to say Jalen Daniels is still my uh, dark horse for this Heisman Trophy. So you're saying is you're picking an Auburn quarterback who's playing for Oregon with a Georgia head coach? That's got to be killing you a little bit inside. I just don't think about it. I just That's think cool. about how how many uniform op- options they have and how they complain about other teams' uniforms somehow. You know, that, that's fair. I will say that is kind of fun that we both of our Heisman picks going head to head, not only for that potential Heisman lead, but also for that third quarterback come draft time as well, too. Who, depending on who puts on a show in these big games, that could put you catapult you to behind Drake, May, Caleb Williams, or maybe ahead. Although both those guys, the way they're playing right now, we'll see. But it could get you into that upper echelon top 10 top 10 pick category. Yeah, if they can win and go on to win a win the Pac 12, I think, I think if, if whoever wins the Pac 12 as far as quarterbacking goes. I think gets the nod for the number one pick. And my, I'm going to say that. I'm going to put it on record now. I think if it's Michael Penix, then he can beat Washington. He can beat. That means he can beat Oregon. He beat. He would have beat USC as well. He would also beat in Utah. He would have beaten Colorado. Michael Penix could be the number one pick for quarterback. Penix, same thing. I wouldn't hate it. I'd be surprised considering they basically have already penciled in Caleb Williams. It's kind of like they did with Trevor Lawrence a couple of years ago, where even when he didn't have that best final season, it was already locked in basically. But you never yeah. know. Like it, draft season's weird. My, we see a lot of players go every time. My draft. one one point to this is, I think there's a little bit of gun shyness with USC quarterbacks. Historically, going number one doesn't always equal success. I think in the last twenty years, there's only been one successful number one quarterback from USC, and that is arguable whether he was successful or not. Because I'm thinking Carson Palmer. I think he's the only one that went number one, but the rest of them are like first round guys too. So like nonetheless, like Matt Liner. That's right. Yeah. First, yeah, first round draft pick from USC. So yeah, Liner at what eleven and Darnold at two, three? Eleven that year, actually. Or ten or eleven. He slipped a little bit, but yeah. Okay. But, but yeah. Either way, like still those top first round USC quarterbacks, I get what you're saying. I mean, we, we can go back in history. I'll say we can go back further in history and pull out some of those other USC guys. That all, they, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, like, it's like, I think I just wonder if there's finally a little bit of gun shyness to, to taking an, an, a USC quarterback well, that, as well, the that, number one quarterback. Exactly. And I do wonder, too, like, all his entire reel is him extending plays as well, too. I wonder if that gives coaches hesitancy as well, which it's great that you can do that, but what can you do when you can't break the pocket or sit back there, which. You know how they overstate That's fair, yeah. It, like, you know, something. Bill's looking at that like, ah, wow, is that what offense looks like nowadays? We'll take it. You know what? If anyone who gets that number one pick, they should be happy to have him because it will be an upgrade. There's a reason Crater for Caleb is part of the tiers. But we, we can go in on this all day, basically. We have a lot of fun coming this draft Spoiler season. for next week's t- Tier Tuesday. Spoiler alert, <laughs> yeah. We have, this week hasn't even played yet, but be ready. But we've, we're we going to have a lot of fun with this coming NFL draft season. It's a very good draft class of most of the players we expect to come out to. It's absolutely loaded, so it should be fun. Before we get out of the tip-off, though, it's been a lengthy one. We're going to stop in on one last thing on the gridiron. We had the return of Jonathan Taylor last week, coming back to India, getting his first game back in almost 300 days. Limited action, very limited. They got a deal done. He got a $14 million a year deal. So three years, $42 million. Sounds awfully familiar to when I said four years, $42 million with about the similar guarantees. So I guess they watched the show or just kind of worked out that way. But we'll keep it quick and easy. What are your thoughts on him returning to the lineup football-wise? And what do you think about fantasy football-wise, his effect and the effect on Zach Moss? Um, first of all, Zach Moss said, forget you, Jonathan Taylor, uh, last week. And that's the reason why we didn't see a bunch of Jonathan. I think they were ready to pull the trigger on Jonathan getting maybe 15 touches last week. But instead, Zach Moss was just absolutely out there dominating. And they're like, you, you know, know Jonathan, right you're just home. fresh off the pup list. We're just paying you $14 million. Let's um, just go sit down. It's okay. We don't need you right now. Like, Spot for you, sir. 
Uh, I do think for for the as far as the duo in the backfield goes, I think we're going to see a duo going forward. I do think we're going to see JT take take back the number one snaps. Um, but I do think I don't think it'll be this week. I think we're going to see still Zach Moss with majority shares this week, and then next you know JT maybe in the next two three weeks potentially taking that over, just getting healthy again. I mean, getting back into 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 the playing shape. Uh, as far as the contract goes, man, this is huge. I think this is huge for running backs. Because it does reset the running back market in a lot of ways. Um, they, look, we had Saquon's ten million dollar or thirteen million dollar contract. You had Jonathan Jacobs or Josh Jacobs. What is it? Uh, talking ten million dollar extension. I think they're both like ten, eleven million. They're just barely over the franchise tag. So, I mean, we're talking uh, now. You're talking ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen million for for running backs. Now it's okay. We're starting to get somewhere. Uh, I know. I know it's not ideal for anybody, not for a running back at least. But it's better than what you were getting at two to three million a year. I mean, offers like that's almost insulting. Uh, so, I mean, honestly, it probably is insulting. But um, yeah, I, I think I think for the running back market, it kind of resets it. So it's it's going to be interesting going forward. But yeah, I think for for JT, I think I'm excited to see him back. Obviously, um, I already picked him to score a touchdown in this week's game. So uh, we'll see if that happens. Or sorry, in last week's game, he did not obviously score a touchdown in last week's game. But uh, I, I thought he would. I just I thought it'd be a surprise. Like, hey, I'm here. 80 yards and a touchdown on my one touch. So instead of uh, Zach Moss, 60 yards and a touchdown because everyone ran with yeah. Anthony Richardson on the opposite side. But and oh, I think that's oh. going to be a big part of it for for Indy. Obviously, with AR 15 now out for a long well, time now. Like yeah, Thanksgiving so, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be a big part of this this team. Obviously, take a lot of pressure off Gardner. Not make him try to figure it out. Uh, just let him run run the ball 37 times, 47 times between the two running backs. And hey, all you got to do is dink and dump and throw it up. 11's out there somewhere, but I'll agree with you. I think it's a great deal, and it's kind of what we talked about, too. You don't have to pay running backs Tyreek Hill money or Stephon Diggs money. We know they're not valuable as a number one receiver, but you're paying them like a number two receiver right now. And I know JT had a little bit of leverage in that he was 24 years old, where a lot of these guys are like 28 years old when they get the contract. So I think that helps a lot as well. So I'm glad to see him get the deal. It looks like it all makes sense. Him and Zach Moss on the field, I think it's going to be Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb from 2020, just refurbished, basically. A lot of the same thing, a lot of spell duty, a lot of one gets a big run, give him another carry, take him off. Both on the field at the same time, fake jet sweeps, and then a dive with the other one. Gardner can move just enough to run some goofy stuff with that as well. You know Shane Steikens, he's a mad genius sometimes. He lost his biggest weapon in AR5. He's just chalking up some other things. Fake handoff to Zach Moss, screen to Jonathan Taylor on the backside with his 4-3-40. They're going to be fine. If you have Zach Moss in fantasy like I do, don't get scared like I did last week. Go ahead and play him. He probably won't get you 33 and a half again like he did last week, despite me. But he's still a viable option. Running back is too thin to be getting rid of somebody who can produce. So I think fantasy I played, wins. I, I played him in our in our uh, joint league where we're both managing the same team. I played him in that league. That's good because I, I benched in my other two leagues that I single managed because I thought, oh, you know what? It's against Jacksonville or against Tennessee, the number one run defense, and AR is going to throw it all over the place. And then AR breaks. Just my luck. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't was, know how I don't know how I managed to, uh, to to sneak that one by you, but I was like, you know what? I see Zach Moss on the bench. I think he has something to say about this. Let's slide him up. Let's see what happens. I saw that, but I didn't know who to take. I was like, you know what? This makes sense. We'll play him. Yeah, I don't think we had anybody healthy on the on, the, on our bench to pull up in there. So. And Aaron Jones was supposed to play, and he died. So it's a good thing we did play him anyway. We didn't have much leeway, but I do think there's plenty of ball, there's plenty of carries to go for the both of them in the pass game, the run game. I think that can help them tread water. They probably lose this week in Jacksonville because we have eight years in a row of consecutive evidence that they will lose this week in Jacksonville. But I think those two can help keep them afloat. Then AR gets back. Maybe you unleash hell on the back half of the season, make things interesting. They had low expectations coming into the year for most people in there. I think it's safe to say they've met or exceeded a lot of them. So we'll definitely see with them coming forward. But I'm excited to see JT back with the Colts 28 and 21. Should be a lot of fun on, on the ground this year. So that's going to do it for this elongated tip-off. And that's going to take us now into Kelsey's second favorite part of every show. And that is the main event. And the main event, of course, as you know, it is highs and lows. We're going to talk about things we're high on in the sports world and with things on in the low, we're low on in the sports world. And since we have a fun tip off, we're going to each, we're going to have one high this week each. We're going to keep it quick, simple, and easy and one low. So we won't, we won't spend too much time on it because a lot of stuff we talked about on tier Tuesdays, everyone saw those. You kind of got an idea of who we were high on, who we were low on in there as well. But for this week's high, I'm going to center in on just one player and I'm going to actually go to Brock Purdy. I don't, Everyone, he's the most polarizing quarterback in the NFL right now, it feels like. Because everyone either thinks he's A, trash and is only good because of the 49ers, B, Tom Brady 2.0 and can't lose. He's LeVar Ball at playing football, basically, it feels like, never loses. 
The tr- I feel like it's just somewhere in the middle with him. He's a very good quarterback who is playing great with the players around him. Not going to say Andy Dalton when he was with the Bengals in those early years, a little bit better than that, a little more dynamic. He's not Jimmy Garoppolo because he doesn't throw stupid interceptions all the time, like Jimmy Garoppolo likes to do, or randomly throw to the other team for fun. He's not Tom Brady, obviously, because that's kind of a silly comparison to make 11 games into someone's career just because they're both late picks. He's not even Dak Prescott early in Dak Prescott's career because I think that was a little bit different of an offense in a different time. They did some similar things, but I just feel like he's just a really good quarterback who his best quality is the fact that he reads the field quickly. He kind of speed reads through things really quickly. And when you have Debo Samuel and those weapons, it capitalizes quickly because you could tell, all right, this is a matchup. There's good leverage there. George Kittle's going to bully that man. Easy peasy. Oh, wait, they have inside leverage against all of our slants. Well, Christian McCaffrey in this in the flat will break three ankles. It's very, very simple. And I think him and Shanahan just are on the same page, even with Brock Purdy's limited athletic traits as far as not having a rocket arm, super mobility, that sort of thing. So he's just really good intangibly, I think. And we see what Ohio State's been since he left. Before, it was there Matt Campbell was supposed to go to the NFL as the head coach and was supposed to be the coach of the Lions, but turned it down. Brock Purdy left Iowa State, and Iowa State stinks now. So I'm going to say I'm going to put Brock Purdy on high on because against that Dallas Cowboys defense, Christian McCaffrey gave you two and a half yards of carry. It's not like he lit them up. And then the backup running back, I think Mason is his name, he gave us 60 yards at six yards of carry. 40 of it came in that when the game was 35 to 10. So the damage was already done. Brock Purdy did everything he needed to do. He throws the backside dig to Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk as well as anybody. Frontside, he's aggressive as heck. He pushes the ball in the middle of the field in tight windows. It's not all checkdowns. He throws some things that you're like, oh, oh, wow, it worked. He throws a handful of those. So I'm going to say I'm high on Brock Purdy. He might even be leading for MVP if we had. I know the odds say otherwise, but you can make a case he's up there too. So I'm going to say we're going to go high on Brock Purdy because everyone wants to either say he's the greatest or say he's a product of the environment. So just saying he's in a very good environment and playing very, very well. So. We're going to pick split even ground, say Brock Purdy's having a pretty good season, and I think it's going to continue. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, and I still couldn't prepare I had myself to wait. for it. I had to wait for it. I was trying to pass it, but it was I, it was a longer tirade than I planned, so I just had to finish it. I had to put a bow on it. I had to put a, put a, put a nice Purdy little bow on it, if you would. Uh, here to sorry. All right. So, yeah, that's your high. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I, think, I think Purdy's a very interesting character. Um, he's, you love him, hate him. Very polarizing uh say the least especially nfl fans i i think he's a quality quarterback i think he's does exactly what you need for him and i think shanahan is using him to absolute perfection and and i think shanahan needs a quarterback like him i've talked about this a thousand one times i just said it earlier game managers win you games in the nfl guys who don't know what their ability is don't know what their role is don't win you games in the nfl um russell wilson tries to be too much he loses you games zach wilson doesn't know what his actual abilities are can't win you a game so um you know you know you see brock purdy he learned the hard way what his abilities are i mean he went through the trials and tribulations at iowa state a guy who played with two great running backs and dave montgomery and Brees hall but uh you know it's i don't know i think he learned a lot there and now with shanahan he's able to unleash all his his known talents and we're even seeing stuff that i don't even think he knew he was capable of like some of these rockets he's throwing down the middle of the field you talk about it like oh whoa 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 oh he just completed that through three defenders. Like, I get it. I I, I get where you're coming from for, from the highest for Brock Purdy. So I I appreciate that he's up here. Um, obviously, yeah, he did it against my favorite team, the Cowboys, and that still hurts me to say that they're my favorite team. Um, maybe I'm shipping. I might I might be shipping that fan base here soon. Again, <laughs> the second time in this podcast career, maybe third time in this podcast career. Well, you've been doing know. it for four years, so I think you've done it five times now because I'm pretty sure you double up a couple times. That's true. I think I think <laughs> you're right. Uh, but yeah, so for my high, I'm gonna gonna stick in a world of football, but taking it to the other football. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm actually sticking with your theme of a guy who's in a great situation, performing really well. That's Christian Pulisic, the American Wonder Kid, over in Italy right now for Syria in Syria for uh, AC Milan, has basically was stolen away from Chelsea because they didn't want him anymore. They didn't want to pay him, and for the quality in which he was giving Chelsea. AC Milan was able to pay him only 20 million euros, which is an absolute steal for how much he signed with Chelsea for um, plus bonuses and, and other contract stipulations as well for that part of that 20 million. But in his seven games worth of playing for AC Milan, he has four goals now, all of which game winners and one assist mind you on a game winner. 
and, and and so you look at him; he's absolutely performing well. AC Milan on top of the on top of the group, uh, top of the league right now, and now he gets to come back play with the U.S. Men's National Team, where we know he performs well. Uh, but this is a situation where I'm glad to finally see an American athlete say, "You know what? I don't have to play in England." can spurn the England desire, whatever that desire is, and go play in Italy, be a superstar in Italy. Go be your best self in, in another top five league in the world, what might arguably be one of the top two leagues in the world right now in Syria, and absolutely performing out of his mind, coming in and saving the Rossoneri many, many times. Uh, now it's been four times, uh, to be exact. And and a guy who's, like, he's not going to score 35-plus goals in a season. That's not his type of role. His role is to set up guys like Olivier Giroud, who, by the way, just happened to be a goalkeeper. And now AC Milan is selling goalkeeper jerseys for Olivier Giroud, this that where he only spent seven minutes in goal. Um, but I digress. So uh, no, I'm, I, I think for Christian Pulisic right now is is absolutely great time for him. Um, I'm excited to see what he's going to do against Germany in the U.S. Men's National Team friendly coming up. But I think for now it's going to be uh, I don't know. I'm I'm just to see what he continues doing in AC when he goes back to the club in two weeks. Absolutely is one. I do think that's interesting you pointed out too, where it feels like London, Europe, like everyone's so hell bent on that one is in England as well. And then playing in Italy as well. I think that's kind of a cool it's a little twist. Milan, man. Like, let's be honest. If there's if there's a place in Italy you want to be, it's Milan. There's I mean, he's definitely you, you want to be Milan, you want to be in Rome. Like those are the two, and you're you're it. You are in 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 the mothership, if you will. Hey, no complaints here. I'll go to Milan if they want. Shoot, I'll do it. Like, sign me up. I'll, I'll play goalkeeper if they need. I'll do something. I'll figure it out. I'll play ball boy if they need it. I'll be. I'll be the gopher if you need me to be. I don't care. I'll hold water bottles and say go team. Whatever you need. I'll yell at somebody if they try and say they're offsides. And even though it was correct, I'll yell and say it wasn't. I'll get a yellow I'll, card. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be the obligatory red card getter. Hmm. Whatever you. Need. I'll be the goon. Like, well, I'll be the designated goon that doesn't actually exist, but create my own role. Whatever they need for that. But absolutely, that, that'll do it for our highs this week. But. Now we're going to take a look at the lows, and the lows, unfortunately, doesn't mean we're low on them overall. It usually just means we're low on their current situation as well. Sometimes we're low on them overall. It can go both ways. But for this one, for the lows, I'm going to go ahead and take a look directly at the AFC North. I'm going to centralize on an entire division. The Browns didn't really play this week, so I can't really chastise them, although their quarterback situation, shoulder contusion, it's like 2021 all over again. The Browns with a quarterback shoulder, shoulder situation. History repeats itself, it feels like, as well. Looking at the Bengals, you finally got on the board, but it was kind of against the Cardinals. Did cool, I guess. Like it was great. T. Higgins didn't play, but they let Jamar Chase run free and play press on him literally zero percent of the time, and we saw what happened. The Steelers and the Ravens with quite possibly the ugliest game I've ever seen. It was seventeen to ten with one touchdown for the team that had seventeen. Like, how does that happen? I, I digress, but what, whatever. I'm just looking at the AFC North as a team. We both had multiple teams winning double-digit games. I think we even had three teams winning double digits in some of them. And right now, they look like they're on pace to maybe the winner winning nine. It is 3-2-3-2-2-3-2-2 right now. That division has so much talent, but they play down a lot of times, it feels like, when they beat the piss out of each other. I I don't know what the exact number is right, but I'm pretty sure 80% of AFC North head-to-head matchups, they hit the under. Almost very rarely have they hit the over the last few years, so... I'm just gonna. I'm a little bit low on the AFC North just because, kind of expect a little bit more from them. Like I expected, three and two to be the bottom feeder of the division. Maybe right now, I expected them to beat up everybody. I didn't expect the Ravens to lose to the Colts or, looking at the Bengals to lose. Well, the ways they've lost, the miraculous ways they've lost up until this point as well. Too, the Steelers. I expect them to lose for to the 49ers. I guess, but I don't expect them to get ramrodded by the Texans. There's a lot of teams that feels like they should have beat, and it's just like, what? So I'm going to take the AFC North as a whole is kind of low right now. It's early. Things can change. But in light of that Ravens-Steelers game, they, they brought that. That was just absolutely abysmal. The amount of drops the Ravens had, what was it, nine drops, I think it was, where the ball hit receivers' hands and it hit ground. The Steelers' offense is still inept minus Kenny Pickett saying, screw you, I'm calling this play. George Pickens out there somewhere, and it worked. That's all you ever had to do is say that one time, and it worked, and they never could do that. A blocked punt, Lamar missing passes, no running game, TJ Watt, breaking his finger, putting the team on his back. So we're going to put the North in the South, basically. I'm going to put them as this week's low after that. What should have been a fun head-to-head defensive matchup, but it was it felt like a blunder bowl more than anything. So we're going to put the AFC North at the bottom right now just because that was the game I had on TV, and it, it made I, did, I wish I could have changed it. Well, yeah, that's fair. I, <laughs> I, get that. um, I can't take anything away from that. That was, uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. Um, 
I'm just gonna jump straight into Milo because I'm I'm I I, I, I gotta get to this. This, this is for sure. Uh, yeah. So this week's low. Um, before I get to it, I'm gonna give you. I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna let this. Uh, you talk to AFC South or AFC North. I'm gonna talk NFC East for just a second. I'm gonna give you three stat lines. All right. I need you to guess which quarterback is which. They're all in the NFC East. 1,300 passing yards, six touchdowns, six interceptions. 1,200 passing yards, a little more than 1,250. Six touchdowns, four interceptions. 1,061 yards, five touchdowns, four interceptions. Which quarterback is which? So six None of them are Daniel six, Jones. Six and six is Sam Howell, if I'm not mistaken, right? Correct. And five and four would be Dak. So that means six and four is Jalen, right? Correct. Oh, nice. So, okay. <laughs> More important than that, though, is the yardage. Sam Howell, 1,300 yards. Jalen Hurts, 1,200 yards. You want to know the crazy part about this? Both have thrown the ball less times than Dak Prescott. Sam has actually thrown at 191, but uh, he's thrown slightly more. But That's, still, not, that's and, not including the amount of times he's been sacked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sam Howell has thrown it like 10 times more than Dak for 300 more yards. And one more touchdown, granted. Two interceptions, but still, besides the point, look at Dak Prescott, this Dallas Cowboys team. You just got ramrodded by the the Niners. If you don't front run, you can't win. Uh, Dak Prescott is ranked 17th in quarterbacks this year. He is behind guys like Desmond Ritter, Jordan Love, Justin Fields, Russell Wilson, Sam Howell, as mentioned, CJ Stroud. And the Brock, the guy we just talked about, Brock Purdy. He's just ahead of Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. And Kenny Pickett. Yeah. So, you, I mean, come on. At this point in time, come on. If you're going to be America's team and you're going to be the savior of America's team, if you're the quarterback for the – be good. Be decent at least. Be better than the baseline average for the NFL. That would be good. Be better than a guy who we questioned whether he knew how to throw a forward pass until this last week in Desmond Ritter. Be better than a guy who literally tripped over his own guard trying to run a quarterback sneak and didn't actually hold on to the ball against uh, the aforementioned Falcons, ironically, and that's Jordan Love. Uh, Be better than a guy who is literally a waste of space in Denver and his the most expensive Walmart employee who can't win a game. Be better than any one of those guys. Just just a little bit better. I'm not asking for a lot here. I'm asking for just, you know, capability. And have a little culpability for your own damn mistakes every week. Because right now, at this point in time, Dak is just, it feels like he's ignoring it. it. feels like he's ignoring it and hope it'll go away and it'll fix itself. And it's not what's happening right now. I know, I know athletes train hard. But Dak has never shied away from the, the media. And this is the part that bothers me, is right now, there are obvious struggles in that offense. He has never shied away from admitting those things. Well, the last two weeks of pressers have been the absolute opposite of that. Oh, you know, we're just trying to figure things out. It'll work itself out. Uh, yeah, you, you know, haters are going to say what they say. No, Dak, Dakota, that is not what you do. That is not who you are. That's not what made you lovable. That's not what made him a likable guy in the NFL. That's, that's just not it. I, I, look, I'm okay if you suck. I've watched the Cowboys suck for many, many years. But don't lie about it. Don't don't do what you're not. Don't don't be who you're not at the end of the day. And that's like I probably could go do this in crunch time as well, but I'm not going to. I'm doing this right here now because right now the low is Dak Prescott. He's got to do better. Do better or be better. Take your pick. Either you start performing on the field or you start at least admitting the fact you can't perform on the field. That you are scared to run the ball after your ankle injury because any um, any human who has had an ankle injury or witnessed that ankle injury understands why you're afraid to run out of the pocket. But don't make excuses for it. So I mean, I'm, I'm gonna stop there. But that's that's my low for the week is Dak Prescott specifically, but the Cowboys as a whole. I'll add on to that as well. They're ba- they're you look at the teams that they have played so far as well. The two New York teams, the Cardinals, like the the Patriots, ramrodded them obviously as well. Like that. You like look at the team and get shot. The the excuse me, the Eagles, they did play the Patriots as well, too, did not handle them the same. The Vikings still a one in fourteen. They're a competitive one in fourteen. But then you also have the Rams in there. It's a good team. Like they've put then you look at the 
the Washington Commanders, who somehow played the hardest schedule out of all these teams, even though they were fourth in the division last year, already having to play the Bills, and I guess the Broncos, I guess. But like, weirdly enough, it's kind of weird when you look at the level of competition where the numbers kind of equate as well, too. And I'm not going to write off the Cowboys either as well, but like you said, they got to play better. You can't, you don't get to play the Jets and the Giants every week. Well, you get to play the Giants more than you should, but you're going to have to win some of these games that you probably shouldn't necessarily, like a 49ers and Eagles that you're going to have to win some of those tough games outside the NFC East, which they've been able to prey on the NFC East basically the entire time, minus the couple of years the Eagles were good before they really took off yeah. these last two years. There's been, there was a stat early on in Dak's career. They talked about them the Cowboys against 500, win, 500 teams and above. Against 500 teams and above, they had a losing record. Against 500 teams below, they had a winning record by, like I think they only lost twice at one point in time. Um and that's kind of continuously bugged him through his career. It's always been his big issue is can he win the big games? He's kind of put that away for the most part of the last couple of years. But this year, it's just it's running right along that same trend line again is is against a team above 500. And like the, you know, the Niners, no chance. Teams below 500. Well, you lost one and then you won three. So you got kind of got to figure out what's going on here. But yeah, it's. I don't know. There's a lot of struggles there in Dallas. There's no question about that. It's just you got to figure it out. Uh, you and don't and don't lie about it. Like, look, you just be honest. I know NFL players are trying not to be that. Like, they don't want to let all the cats out of the bag because you know competition. Blah blah blah. But if your character has always been that you were honest about your own sucking, like just continue to be honest about the fact you suck. Still, like, don't don't start making up lies about it. It's not all of a sudden you grew up overnight without playing a game and became God's gift to the earth. So you don't suck anymore. That's not how that works. And there's no shame in losing to the 49ers. That's to be expected for the most part, honestly. It's the fact that you scored 10 points and you look lost and it wasn't a they caught you off guard or, oh, that we just weren't ready. You were prepared. You were prepared. You talked about being prepared for it even going before that oh, card game. Okay. Like, you, you were ready. About being prepared for your preparing of the preparing for them. You were exactly. talking about this three weeks ago, how prepared for you for them you were. Exactly. And you can lose. You can lose 24 to 17. You can lose 34 to, to 17, 34 to 20. But 42 to 10 after they let the brakes off and it was a Cooper Rush, Sam Darnold fourth quarter. That that just can't really happen. You offensively, CeeDee Lamb got what four catches for like 40 yards, something ridiculous. You got to get him. He involved. was the bright spot with 40 yards. Has Brandon Cooks played this year? Like, I feel like they just aren't getting him the ball that much. He's like, on the field. He's doing cardio, it feels like they're not he's, utilizing he's the Randall Cobb effect, is, is exactly what's happening. Is that third receiver who doesn't get targeted for some god awful reason, except he's for the- random second and third downs. He's the fastest dude on the field more often than not, and it feels like he's not getting the ball. You skipped out on tight ends after the Bills took Dog Kincaid and took Lou Schumacher, who I don't think has a catch this year. I don't think uh, they're he has one. actually he has a touchdown. Does he? Okay. Well, it feels like but they're he not has, using. He has him. like two catches beyond that, so they're not utilizing him in the passing game to replace Dalton Schultz at all. Like it's not I even. Know, Ferguson has a touchdown. Showmaker does not. I rest my case. Mozzie Smith's not even starting right now, so that pick's not working out. That was one we talked about too. I don't even think he's he on the field right now. Yeah, Nolan Smith, you could have paired at edge. You could have there's a lot of other things you could have done in the draft. Obviously, Nolan Smith hasn't done much in Philly yet, but you pair him with Micah Parsons, that's terrifying. There's there were options. Just to be honest, though, he you talk about Philly's defense versus Dallas's defense. There's a hole in Dallas's defense where Nolan Smith could fit. There's not a hole in Philly where Nolan Smith could fit. Absolutely. There's a it's feeling like those things we kind of talked about, at least had my concerns that were coming to roost right now. And it's not just losing to the 49ers, it's the way things have kind of gone when you're not up 14 nothing off a blocked field goal and a pick six out of the gate. And maybe Trayvon Diggs was better than we always thought he was. Maybe somehow maybe he was actually that number one corner this whole time, actually. Maybe he's been CB1 in the league the whole time, and we underestimated him because of the year he gave up all those yards. So I'm sorry, Trayvon Diggs. You might be a top three corner. And I was I'm wrong. not sorry. I'm not apologizing. Yeah, you know, you're not going to. I'm going to say right now, you might have been a top three corner. We'll see how things go. No, with you cannot give up 1,200-plus yards and be a number one quarterback corner. Or well, we'll if, they, if they lose to the Giants without Trayvon Diggs, then I'm like, Stamp of approval. It's over. Uh, fair. Okay. Either way, but now, I will, let me just, I'll just add one point. And last thing, this almost feels like they are finally buying into their own hype. They bought it almost on- feels like they're finally buying into the fact that they're the Cowboys and they're America's team. That's what this feels like. And unfortunately they bought in and it's hard to get back out. It's hard to re it's hard to refinance at this point. So we'll have to see if they can start make, getting some cash advance on that, but that's going to do it here for the main event going over some, Lows and some highs. That's now going to take us into Kelsey Favorite part of every show. That's Crunch Time. Brought to you by Outlier. Go to outlier.bet backslash Hello Sports. Get yourself a free seven-day trial to bet smarter, not harder. And for Crunch Time, we just wanted to have a fun little preview to next week's show. 
the NBA season right around the corner. And as per usual, we'll be doing predictions for the NBA season. We're going to say who's in the playoffs, who's getting to the finals, who's winning some awards, who's getting MVP. All the good stuff. You've checked in with us the last four or five years. You've seen these. I had a nice little run there. I got three in a row, but I've gone over to the last two years. So I got to try and get myself back on the horse there as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that and it should definitely be fun. We will also touch on what's going on in the world of baseball as well as any other major NFL news as well too. But NBA predictions coming next week, right before the season. You won't want to miss that. Come see if maybe we're geniuses like, like we were early on or if our luster is all gone and we're stupid now. I'm as dull as a, as a dum-dum. That's a good way to wrap this one up. But from, from DJ and the dum-dum himself too, we appreciate you all for joining us here this weekend on the High Low Sports Podcast. Go and check us out on all major social medias. Check out Tier Tuesdays on YouTube. Check out Fantasy Fridays as well as DJ's Best Bets coming up on the weekend. We will see you all again next week.